0: To Ephesians chapter 2, Ephesians chapter 2. Well, I know you've heard Joshua's heart up here this morning about uh, One Love the skate ministry that they have there. So much more than just skating. Uh, uh, they really do reach out to, to, to kids that are probably don't they feel the most detached from church many times and uh, if you'd like to go and support them and I hope you will support them prayerfully but if you'd like to support them financially uh, you can go to the website the cards are on the back eye desk back there just pick one up and it tells you how to go through all the processes and everything so i hope you'll make that a matter of prayer about your possible involvement there in that ministry Ephesians chapter 2 we're continuing the series in him for him now, the passage that we're looking at today is addressing those who are far, who are afar and how they're brought near and how we are now one in Christ, which I believe, is you, if you study carefully, you see that it's a reference to overcoming the whole idea of racism. Now, racism seems to be a reflection of fallen humanity. And the reason for it is because it's found in some form or the other in every culture, in every generation that has ever existed. Now, the racism of the first century in Israel was between the Jew and the Gentile. And Paul in this passage is informing us that racism has no place in the church because for the Christian, it was destroyed on the cross. Jesus died to save man and to put man on equal footing. The passage is written by Paul. And and what's interesting about Paul was he was an ethnic Jew. He was not only born into the Jewish traditions or the Jewish family, he he received uh, his faith as a Jewish person. And so therefore, he's writing this to a majority Greek community, informing them that they are now allowed full union with Christ and Christianity. And that there's a distinction, the things that separate the Jew and the Gentile are no longer in play. That's what he's addressing here in the passage this morning. So look at the introduction down on your outline. "Even before the gospel, God's plan was to make himself known to all through the Jewish nation." Let me tell you how we know that. It's from the verse in Genesis in chapter three, the covenant that God is making with Abraham. Here's part of the covenant. He said, God said to Abraham, I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now, let me just tell you this. The latter part of that covenant that's mentioned there really never transpired, never even came about Because, look on your outline, however, the Jewish nation made their faith in God and the fact God had chosen them exclusive instead of inclusive. They believed the covenant God made with Abraham was only for them and not the Gentile, those those not of Jewish descent. Paul in this passage is saying that the gospel is not exclusive, but inclusive. It is available to all and no one is above another. Now, if you were to say, okay, take me to a passage that speaks of, a, of racial differences. Take me to a passage that, that, in which the Bible says that racism has no part of God's plan, has no part of what the church should be about. It is the verses that we're looking at today. It's a clear discovery of what it means as races come together to serve God. So, just as verses 1 through 3 of Ephesians chapter 2, in verses 11 and 12, Paul once again tells us our condition, look on your outline, without Christ. What is our condition without Christ? Now, now here's what you need to understand Christ came to change everything. Are you aware of that? When Christ showed up, the Messiah, when Jesus showed up, even as a child, as he grew into a man, and what his whole mission was about, his mission was to transform not only our relationship with with God, but also transform our relationship with each other. That's what he was after. So we go from sinner to saint. We go from those who are outside the covenant, and we're going to talk about this in just a moment, to those inside the covenant. So look on your outline. Here's our condition. This is where we were. Without Christ, we're outside the covenant. Outside the covenant. Now look at verse 11 of chapter 2. Therefore, remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who were called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands, that at that time you were without Christ being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise. Now, let me just say this. When when you look at verses one through three, as we saw last week, and it described our condition before Christ, that was a hopeless situation. But then when you come down to verses 11 and 12, you're looking at another, another way of looking at our hopeless situation. And one part of that is the fact that we were outside of the covenant of God. Now, let me show you something that I think you'll find interesting. In these verses, we find four words that describe a person outside the covenant, outside of the covenant that God made with the Old Testament. And then I added a word or phrase that can describe a person inside the covenant, okay? So if we're on the outside of the covenant, what did God do to provide for us to be on the inside of the covenant? I'm going to show you that in just a moment. But let me define what a covenant is. A covenant is an agreement between two parties. Now, let me just say this. It's more than a contract. A contract, when you look at the whole idea of what a contract is, is is the contract is built on on distrust. The covenant, however, is not built on distrust. The covenant is built on, on the fact of trust, that you can count on it. It's something bigger than you. So it's an agreement between two parties. God made a covenant with Abraham, which was signified by what we know as circumcision. You can read that in the Old Testament. Many Jews would say that the covenant between them and God through Abraham was exclusively for them. But y'all, that wasn't God's plan. God's plan was to use the covenant that he had with the Jewish people, the seed of Abraham. In such a way that the world would be known to, uh, by, by them about him through this nation. Y'all, it never panned out to be that way. Never happened that way. So, so here's the covenant. The covenant God made with Abraham was to say, okay, you are going to become my special people. But not only will you become my special people, you will be the people who will introduce me to the rest of the world. Didn't happen that way. Far from it. That was the covenant. Now, let me just say this about, the cov- about covenant. Biblically, a covenant was sealed, is a biblical covenant was sealed by the shedding of blood. Now, here's the good part to all this. Jesus' blood provided us with what is now the new covenant. You, you see what I'm saying? So there's, there's a lot to this whole idea of covenant. The fact is, we were outside the covenant. Speaking of the old covenant. Four words that describe it we found in these verses. The first one is the whole idea of Gentiles. Gentiles. Now, what is a Gentile? It's someone who's not Jewish. I mean, it doesn't matter what race you are. It doesn't matter where you're from, whatever it comes from, what nationality. If you're not Jew, according to them, you're Gentile. Now, let me just tell you what a Gentile was to a Jew. There were several descriptions that we find in Scripture in which the Jew thought of the Gentile as a dog. Uh, Not not a very popular thing there. Okay, but that's the way it was seen. They were, and, 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 but here's the new word there. We were Gentiles, meaning we're not Jewish, but guess what? God provided adoption, but we can be adopted. See, many Jews saw Gentiles outside of the covenant, outside of God's plan, with no hope. But Paul in these verses is is attempting to correct the fallacy. Look at what he says in Galatians. But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his son, Jesus Christ, born of a woman, born under the law, to to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive, here it is, the adoption as sons. And of course, that means daughters also. And because you are sons and daughters, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba Father. So, so when he talks about the whole idea that okay we might have been outside the covenant wasn't God's plan that we'd be outside the covenant he was going to use the nation of Israel to make himself known to the world they, felt they, they, they didn't keep up their end of the covenant they didn't do it but what's interesting about that is he's making the attempt to establish a new covenant a covenant in which we as Gentiles we can be adopted into and guess what it's not just for the Gentiles it's also available for the Jew also this new covenant. So Gentiles, listen, have always been invited to be a part of God's plan. The part of the covenant that, that God made with Abraham was to, make them, to, was to make him known to the rest of the world. Another word that describes uh, one being outside God's covenant, uh, as far as the Old Testament, is the word uncircumcision. Now, what that would mean if you were uncircumcised, it means you didn't identify, not, not identified with. But guess what our new word is? Baptism. Baptism. Now, God has always required some form of identification to be part of his covenant. For those in the Old Testament, it was circumcision and keeping the law. For us in the New Testament, it's baptism and living in the spirit. The Bible even talks about the whole idea of living in the spirit. It goes further than that. It says we're sealed by the spirit. Another terminology that we find. So baptism is identifying with Christ. Matthew chapter three, then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. If Jesus was baptized, don't you think it's important that we be baptized? You know what his baptism was about? It wasn't that he was in need of salvation. It was the fact that he was gonna be baptized that if we want to identify with him, we should be baptized. goes on, Acts chapter two. Then those gladly received his word were baptized. This is the beginning of the church. And at that day, and, and that day, about 3,000 souls were added to them that made up the church. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. For by one spirit we're all baptized into one body, whether Jew or Greeks, whether slaves or free. Here's another one. Galatians 3.27. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. The whole idea of baptism is a mark of identification. We're identifying with Him. However, here in verse eleven, Paul is calling out the Jews. Look at what he says in verse eleven of Ephesians chapter two: "Who are called uncircumcision by what is the so-called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands." Now, here's what you need to understand: Back around the first century, when Jesus showed up on the scene, there were a lot of the, there were a lot of people who were trying to identify in the covenant by circumcision, okay? Now, if you wanna know what all that means and you don't know, just ask me after the service. I'll, I'll give you as much detail as I can on all that, okay? But anyway, but circumcision was the whole sign that, that you were a part of the covenant, okay? But here's what you need to realize, and Jesus called them out on it when he showed up. There were those out there who said they were identifying with the covenant because they were circumcised, but you're getting, we're gonna look at the verse in just a little while, but the Bible says they were far from me, Yeah, they did that. They attempted to keep the law, but they were far from me. I I didn't really know them, and yet all that was in play. That's why he said, by the so-called, the circumcision made in the flesh by hands. Circumcision, just as baptism, does not make you part of the covenant. It is an outward sign that you are part of the covenant. Paul is saying you are boasting about something that you yourself are not really a part of. And Jesus said it over and over again when he talked to the religious people of the first century. He said it over. That was a theme he had with the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Another word that describes one being outside of God's covenant is the word alien. Alien. It literally means not native. But guess what Guess what? we found in Christ? that Now we can become citizen. Citizen. Before we were alien. Look at verse 12 again. He, he says... He says that at the time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. The commonwealth of Israel. Now, some translations replace the word alien with excluded. You were excluded from the covenant uh, that Israel had with God, You, you were outside the covenant. Now, without Christ, here's what we need to understand we are excluded from the promises made to the Jew. Now, here's, here's what's interesting. There were certain promises made to the Jew who kept the covenant, who went and were a part of the covenant. They agreed to be a part of the covenant. There were certain promises that came with it. There came blessings, protection, that they would become a community of God, for God. And so what you see there is that now is transferred. If you look at the New Testament, especially in the book of Acts, that, that whole thing is transferred now to the church, now, there's a new covenant that basically says the church has their same responsibilities, and with that covenant comes the blessings that the Jew had. So, so you're seeing a blessed people, a protected people, a community, or kingdom of God. But now that we are in Christ, we have the full benefit package. And in Philippians chapter 3, look at the verse here. For our citizenship now, where's it at? It's in heaven from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus. When it says we eagerly wait, here's what that means. The reality of the fact we're citizens of heaven, even though we're living in a fallen world, the reality is we're still a citizen of heaven. We can't wait for God to come and make that thing a total reality. That's what we're looking for in him, for him to come and do that. So now alien, not native, but now we're citizens. A, a, a last word that describes being outside of God's covenant as, as it pertains to the Jewish covenant is stranger. It literally means not familiar. But the new thing is this, there is a new covenant. Look at verse 12 again. He says, that In the time you're with, without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise. You see, God, this is what's interesting, God replaced the Old Testament. You know what testament means? It means covenant. He he replaced the Old Covenant with the New Testament, the New Covenant. Now, Paul goes into great detail about this in the book of Romans. If you want to say, hey, I'd really like to read more about that, read the book of Romans. The writer of Hebrews also does a great job of this also. And so study those two books if you want to see how the replacement came between the old covenant and now the new covenant. Now Hebrews says this. Look at what it says here on the screen. In that he, meaning God, says a new covenant he has made the first obsolete. Now what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. That is being removed, okay, okay? Now, here's what you need to understand. I'll talk with you more about it in just a moment. Here's what Paul was dealing with when he wrote his epistles. There were those of the Jewish community, okay, who were saying this. Before you can really uh, 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 join the new covenant of what Christ has provided, here's what they would say. you got to be a part of the old covenant first. got to become a Jew before you become a Christian, That's what the Jewish people were saying in that day. So there were Jewish Christians, okay, those who who did uh, buy into the new covenant, those who came to Christ, who were now saying, okay, but here's what you need to understand you got to come over here and you got to be a part of the old covenant first. And of course, Paul was saying, no, that's not the case. Now, In most all of Paul's epistles, especially Galatians, he directly confronts this false theology that says before you become a Christian, you must become a Jew. Now, there's a whole different thing there. Now, let's keep moving. Hopefully, it'll make more sense as we move. Without Christ, you're not only outside the covenant, the old covenant, but also outside of hope. (laughs) You're outside of hope. You have no hope. Look at what he says in verse 12. He says, having no hope. You, you're an alien. Uh, without Christ, you're an alien to those things, the things that, that uh, there's a promises are not gonna be real, re- realized in, in, in you and through you. But not only that, you just have no hope. Job once said this. Now, when, when I say, when I mention the name of Job, what do you, you think, poor guy, right? You, I mean, does that not just come to your mind? Poor guy. Sum up Job's life, Poor guy. But he was a guy who knew his redeemer lived, though, right? But he was poor guy. Look at what he says in the hopelessness of his situation. He said, My days are swifter than a weaver's shuttle, uh, shuttle, and are spent well, without hope. He got to a point where he was living without hope. He felt like he was on the outside of hope. You ever you ever felt like you were on the outside of hope? You ever been there? I've been there. I've been there since being a Christian. The enemy, or my—I mean, it just. Sometimes you just feel like there's no hope. And, and, and what we're being said, what's being said here is, that if we're outside the covenant that God has has presented to us, if we're on the outside of that, then we have no hope. True hope, listen, can only be based on a true promise and confidence in the One who can come through with what He's promised. God will deliver on what he has promised. Jesus' death, burial, and especially his resurrection make it so. Those without Christ, those outside this new covenant, we have no hope. There's no hope outside of that. Here's another one. Without Christ, we're outside of God. Look at verse 12, the latter part of verse 12. He says, not only having no hope, without God in the world. How many of you have ever kind of Looked at this fallen world from a lost person's perspective. Have you ever done that? Have you ever just thought to yourself, how do they cope with all the the hurt and the sorrow and the, the, the negativity and the no hope? How does someone a part of this world, how do they make it? How do they even get there? I mean, how do they get through it all? Well, this is saying if we're outside of Christ, without Christ, we're outside of the covenant that God has established, guess what? We're in a sad situation. Jesus said time and time again that even the most religious Jews in the first century were in this situation. They were without hope and they were without God. Now think about that. The religious people of the first century, Jesus, I've said it a million times. If you're here on Wednesday nights, you've heard it over and over again. He came against the religious establishment. And, and here's what he said. This is how he summed it up. Look here, Matthew chapter 15. This is what he told them. These people draw near to me with their mouth. That means they say all the right stuff. And honor me with their lips. But their heart is where? It's far from me. They don't know me. They're on the outside. Let me just say this. Is it possible to be religious and be on the outside of God? Oh, Yeah. Religion has never accomplished anything. Religion is, is just is a whole idea of misunderstanding. Jesus didn't come to establish a religion. He came to establish a relationship with people who wanted to be a part of his covenant, who wanted to come into agreement with him about what he did on their behalf, who, 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 come, who draw from him. And so therefore they're not they're, here's what's here's what's interesting about how Paul puts this. They were without Christ, but if they come to Christ, guess what? The picture you have there is now they're in Christ. It's a sign of the covenant, it's terminology of the covenant, the new covenant. See, the last statement that we just read, but the heart is far from me, the last statement uh, summarizes that those without Christ, those outside of Christ are in the world. Their home is in the world, not with God. All their hope is in the world, their pleasures in the world, their possessions are in the world. Once life ends, however, there is only eternal separation from all that is good, all that is right, and all that is holy. He's saying you're without God. You're without hope, without God. If you're without Christ... You're in the worst of worst conditions a person can be in. That's what he's saying here. He's describing that in verses 11 and 12. So so without Christ, words that describe us being outside the covenant, Gentile, uncircumcision, alien, stranger, are replaced with adoption, baptism, citizen, stranger. But outside of hope is replaced with hope in Christ. Outside of God is replaced with the promise of the gospel. He's saying that there's a connection, that those without Christ, there's that situation. But guess what? They can be in Christ. How do you get in Christ? He tells us. Look on your outline. Through Christ. How did that happen? In verses 11 and 12, he says, you once were. But in verse 13, how does he start the, the whole next passage? But now. And then he tells you how it came about. But now. By the blood and cross of Jesus. Look on your outline. Now have intimacy with God and others. That's what's, what's made available to us. And, and the first thing we see there is the whole idea of being brought near. Look at verse 13. It says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were afar off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. You're far off, now you're brought near. Now, let me just say this. The terminology that Paul uses here is kind of the terminology of the whole idea of the temple. How many of you ever stated things about the temple? Uh, this is the layout of the temple. Now, this particular it happens to be Herod's temple. Uh, if you see the very point up there, if you can see that, uh, the most holy place, that's considered the holy of holies. That was the most exclusive place you could be on the face of the earth, <laughs> Okay, and and there is where the high priest went, and he went there only one time a year to offer up a sacrifice for the nation, for the people. And so you got the most holy place, but then you come down to the main temple in the altar area, that's where the rest of the priests could go. Okay, so you had the one area where only the high priest could go, but now you got the other area where the rest of the priests could go. So you got some exclusivity. In that. And then you come on out a little bit further outside, you come to the court of Israel. That's where the Jewish men could go. You see what's happening? We're getting further and further away from what? The most holy place. You come on down and you see the court of women. This is where the Jewish women could come to go. And so, you, still even more separation. But then on the outside of that, you have the Gentiles' court. And all of a sudden, you've got that happening over there and and how that's going. Now, some of you are like, where did the red dot come from? I don't see you moving it. It's coming from the back back there. So anyway, um, but look at what happens. You go from the most holy place where one man could go, the high priest, all the way to where the Gentiles are and look how far removed. When it says those who are far off are brought near, this is what we're talking about. Do you know what Christ did on our behalf? He brought us near to God. That's what he was doing. That's what was happening here. So you have the old covenant, but now you have the new covenant and those who are far off, who's the fathers out? The Gentile can now be brought near. It's the language. Now have more intimacy with God. But guess what? As we come towards the most holy place, guess who comes with us? The rest of the people. There's, now there's no more distinctions between Jew and Gentile. You see what's happening there? We all come together. Look on your outline. Through Christ. Broken down the wall of separation. Look at verse 14. For he himself is our peace who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation. Let me just tell you, if you go back to the, to the thing there, there's all kinds of walls that separate, all the way from the most holy place to the court of the Gentiles. But here's what's really interesting about all this. If you look at Mark chapter 15, The Bible says, while Jesus was on the cross, listen to this, and Jesus cried out with a loud voice, breathed his last. And do you know what happened after that? Something pretty amazing. The separation was removed. Here's what it says. Then the veil of the temple was torn in two from where to where? Top to bottom. Who was doing the tearing? God was doing the tearing down. You know what he was doing? He was removing the separation. Removing the distinctions, y'all. He not only removed that, that veil, he removed the rest of the walls that surrounded the, the temple. You do know that, right? The Gentile now is with the Jew. It, it all comes together. And so when it says that he, he not only took away the separation between us and him, it also, if you read it in its context, means he took away the separation between us and others. Pretty amazing when you think about it from that point of view. Next, through Christ, by the blood and cross of Christ, now we have peace with God and others. Uh, Look at, uh, and then we see abolished enmity. Look at verse 15. It says, having abolished in his flesh the enmity. Now, here's what's interesting. That's not only with God, it's also with others. He abolished that. He took away the separation, okay, between the Jew and the Gentile. Uh, Now, it goes further. He says, if you look at verse uh, 15 again, he's abolished this, that is the law of commandments contained in ordinances so as to create in himself one new man from the two. Now think about that. The two were the Jew and the Gentile. Paul's addressing that. But now he's saying there's gonna be a new man. If any man be in Christ, he's what? He's a new creation, something that's never existed before. Guess what? We We don't take our... The fact we're Jewish into that. We don't take the fact that we're Gentile into that. We don't take the fact that we may be white into that or black into that. We're all right there the same. For, and one man from the two you see the new person is not simply Jewish or Gentile now what happens to become a child of God in God's eyes the new person is no longer defined as Jewish or Gentile only a child of God move forward 2,000 years the new person is not simply black or white who happens to become a child of God in God's eyes he's no longer defined as black or white only as a child of God and by the way that should be our view too that should be our view Next, through Christ, by the blood and the cross of Christ. Now we have peace with God and others. And of course, you got the whole idea of just making peace. Look what he did. From the the two, he made the new man, thus making peace. Now making the peace is not only between us, ourselves, and God, but also with humanity. So peace, listen, can only exist. Let me just tell you this about peace, something I found out personally. Peace can only exist in my life when i get myself out of the way including my prejudices that's the only way i'm going to have inner peace you can't have peace and have hatred towards someone you you can't it's not possible you, you ever tried it if you have you know it's not possible it has to be made right. So, so listen, if we have hatred in our hearts for others, then we need to check and see if we are truly in Christ. Are we truly, are we truly beneficiaries of the peace that he has for us? Next, he reconciled them both to God. Look at verse 16. And that he might reconcile them both to God in one body. How did he do it? Through the cross. Meaning no longer separate or no longer exclusive But now inclusive because they are of the same provision. Listen, the provision that Christ made 2,000 years ago for us, he made it for the Jew and he made it for the Gentile. He made it for everyone nationalities, races, whatever you want to call it. It's available. There's not a different type of provision for people unlike us. We have the same provision. All for us. The death, burial, and resurrection, Jesus provided the Jew as well as the Gentile. It provided for the white as well as the black. And it's unbiblical to think any other way. Let me give you the verse, Galatians chapter 3. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's neither no, no male and female. For you are all one where? In Christ. In Christ Jesus. Next, through Christ, by the blood and of the cross, we now have peace with God and others by putting to death the enmity. He he put it to death. Look at what it says in the last part of verse 16. Therefore, putting to death the enmity. That means that should not be a reality any longer. Shouldn't be a reality any longer in the person's life, especially the one he came to die for through the blood, through his cross. This verse seems to be indicating that Jesus not only reconciled us to God, but he also made it possible for us to be reconciled to each other. This means if there is any true racial reconciliation, it can only come, I believe, by the way of Jesus' provision by way of the cross. It goes on. Next, who were far off and to those who were near. Look at verse 17. And he came and preached peace to you who are far off and to those who were near. Here's what's interesting about that verse. When Jesus showed up, according to Hebrews, and what he did what he did, according to Hebrews, he abolished the old covenant and he brought in the new covenant. Now here's what's interesting about that. When it says those who were near is speaking of the Jew, okay? When he says those who are far off, he, it's language used for the Gentile. But guess what he did? You know what he did in that one verse? He put us on the same level. He put us on the same plane. That's what he did. Those who were far off, those who were near. The temple picture showed us that, right? But guess what? Now we're all right there together. He had to preach, he had to preach Jesus, what? To both groups. There's no other way. Here, here's what you need to understand. And this is hard to say, but it's true. The Jews who are still holding to the old covenant, if they don't embrace the new covenant, guess what? They are without hope. They are without hope. And and here's what that also means. It means, however, that they are offered the same covenant that we are offered, but we're all on equal footing. We all are there. So those afar off would be Gentiles. Those who were near were Jews. Had nothing to do with how moral a person was. It's old covenant talk. Now all those through Christ are placed on equal footing next, through Christ, by the blood and cross of Christ Christ. Now we have access to God and others. Access literally means to move to or to introduce or to present. How did it happen? Look on your outline, through him. It happened through Christ. Look at verse 18. It says, for through him. Now through Christ, it is possible to be introduced to God. It also implies that now we can be introduced to each other because of what Christ has done. That means this. That means that the things that used to separate us, they don't have to be there anymore. They can be removed, but it's still something that Christ has to do within us. Next, he says both Jew and Gentile have access. Look at verse 18. He says, for through him, we both have access. Speaking of the two groups, the two races there, And then he goes on, he says, and by one spirit. What spirit are we talking about? We're talking about the Holy Spirit. What's so special about the Holy Spirit? It makes up the triune God. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And so he says all that. So, So here's what's interesting about that. If you look at Ephesians chapter four, verses four through six, there is one body and one spirit just as you were called in one hope of your calling. What Paul was saying there, he's saying there's not another way over here. It's all one way. Jew or Gentile, black or white, however, it's all one way and it's found, we make up one body, we call by one spirit in the hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and his Southern way of saying it and in you all. It's all right there. In Christ, now that we're in Christ, our situation, our relationships are transformed so much so that we become one body. In the new covenant provided by Christ, there's three transformations and I gotta hurry. Transformation number one, you were strangers and foreigners. That's where you were. Look at verse 19. Now, now that you're in Christ, therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners. You're no longer there, okay? No longer separated, But now, look on your outline, fellow citizens. So look at what he says in verse 19. He says, Now therefore, you're no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building... Befitting together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. You know when you read something like that and you look at the context it's written in and you, and you look around the landscape of America, especially here in the South, and, and you have uh, churches, and even right here in our community, call black churches and white churches and Hispanic churches and all that, that's not the language of the Bible. You do realize that right? It's not the language of the New Covenant. That's not that language the language that's used here is all will become one in that. We all are being fitted together. We're all growing together. We're all representing a holy temple before God. I know people who profess to be Christians who are racist, who have severe prejudices. I, the only the only thing I can get to even come close to figuring out what they're talking about, they honestly think I think when we get to heaven we're going to have different distinct categories or different separations for different I don't know how they get there with that. But y'all, we're, we're, going to, we're all going to be made up the same. We're, the same provision made for one has been made for all. The, the same thing has placed every one of us on equal footing, so much so it's no longer the language of the Jew and the Gentile. It's no longer the language of the black and the white. It's all the same. It's amazing when you think of it that way. We are the same now that we're in Christ. The differences that once divided us should no longer divide us. Race, nationality, politics. Let me tell you one of the most exciting things about going on a mission trip. One of the most exciting things. And and I've been to many places, okay? I've been to Nepal. I've been to Romania. I've been to uh, Africa this past May. I was able to go to the continent of Africa. And here's what's so amazing is to be able to stand in a worship service and hear in different languages singing to the same God. Expressing in, this, in, in, different, in different ways, but to the same God. It's amazing. You know that's heaven, right? It's not going to be a section for Africans. It's not going to be a section for U.S-born citizens of the U.S. It's not going to be the Nepalese over here, all one big family. Next, transformation, transformation number two: you were with no hope. We saw that in verse 12 but now members of the household of God Now I've already got ahead of myself I've already read that verse but we are not only fellow citizens of God's kingdom now we have the same house we make up the same body we're one transformation number three you were without God in the world That's what verse 12 told us when we looked at it. But now a dwelling place of God. Look at verse 22. In whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. He's bringing us all together. So, in these verses, Paul is saying, through the blood and the cross of Christ, listen, this is good news aliens become citizens, strangers become families, idolaters become the temple of the true God, the hopeless inherit the promises of God, the godless are reconciled to God, those far off are brought near, and those without Christ become one in Christ. That's what he's saying in these 11 verses. Here's the application. Are you still living without Christ? Did, did you hear what, how you were described? You're outside of the covenant. You're outside of the provision. You're without hope. You, you, you have no hope. Your, your hope is in the world. And it's going to end one day. So is that where you are? Or have you accepted what Christ has done through Christ and currently living in the reality of being in Christ? And y'all, that's a whole new different reality. Secondary application. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 and 12 are all about alienation and separation while verses 19 through 22 are about reconciliation. Then in the middle verses, 13 through 18, Paul shows how Christ bridged the gap from alienation and separation to reconciliation. Based on these verses, if you are in Christ, your life should not reflect the racism found in our culture. The church that Christ died for is one full of people of all races, all nationalities, all people who worship and serve him as what? One. We are one in Christ. Y'all, there's no other, there's not a plan B. There's not wishful thinking, well, you mean we're all going to be together for eternity? Yep. Yep we are if you know Jesus would you stand to your feet please father we just thank you so much for your blessings Lord we thank you for who you are and and Lord I know that sometimes we deal with these passages are very difficult at times but father we just need to expound your truth Lord so many times we hear people's opinions and we hear what people think about certain things and father it's all about what your word says Father, I just pray if there's someone here today that doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior, help help them to realize that they're outside of the covenant. They're outside of the provisions that were made by your son, Jesus. And Father, all they need to do is walk into those provisions to come by way of faith, to come by believing in who you say you are, to come by turning from their sin and turning to you, Father. Help them to realize that they can enter into the covenant. Father, for the person that may be here today, And maybe they've known you as long as they've known you. They've they've known you a long time. But Father, there's issues in their life that need to be dealt with. Lord, maybe they realize that that with Jesus coming, it reconciled themselves to you. But Father, maybe they don't realize that it also means that we can be reconciled to others, to those outside of the particular race we're a part of, to those outside of our, our nationality, to those outside of our economic status. Lord, that we're all in you, united in Christ. Father, help us to look at this world the way you see it. Not as we choose to, not the way our past brought us up in seeing it, but to see it as you see it. All people united in one God. All people united in in their love for you. All people united in service to you. All people united who will live throughout eternity with you, those who know you. Father, I just pray you'll have your way in this invitation in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll get